Can we say thank you to Emily and her team tonight? Appreciate your guys' ministry this evening, this year. Emily, for the last four years, right? My goodness. We've got quite a few of our uh, chapel leads and people on our chapel teams who are graduating this year, so a bit of a special time uh, for them, a special time for all of us. Well, good evening. How are you all doing? Okay, great. Wow. It's so awesome how bright out it is still. I'm so not used to it. I love it. Uh, okay, uh, after our time in here this evening, and as you exit out, once we conclude uh, the service tonight, there are snacks out in the lobby. Our student council team is just wanting to celebrate the end of the year, the end of our chapel together, and so there'll be some snacks. We can chill out in the lobby, and the weather is beautiful, so it can flow outside as well. Uh, have you ever been that asked the question, what is Summit like? Yeah? You've been asked that question? What are some of your responses to what is Summit like? Shout it out. Awesome. Beautiful. Okay, that's one I thought. It's like an eight-month-long camp experience. Like, I've heard that one. Lots. Okay, what else is Summit like? Yeah, weird. That's good. I wrote down ones that I like I've heard, but I want to hear some of yours. That it's weird? What else? They say what? Nice. Ah. I got that one down. It's a bubble. Yeah. <laughs> People are like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Uh, I've also heard it's like family. Uh, it's the best place and the worst place at the same time. <laughs> I've heard that one. <laughs> I got a hand. Josh. Oh, non-Christian family dropped you off, thought you were joining a cult. Okay. Any others? I got two more here on mine. Nathan is like filtering right now. We'll hold it. Bridal college. Yeah. Uh, I've also heard that summit is like what we hope to see take place in the church which is encouraging. Um, and it's the people at Summit is what makes it. I've also heard that. Uh, I would agree on a lot of these. It feels like camp sometimes <laughs> for a whole year. <laughs> uh, and it is like family. Yes, it can feel like a bubble, um, but uh, it is a wonderful place to be, and it is the people that make it. I hope you get asked that question a lot this summer. Uh, graduates, I hope you get asked that question all the time. All the time. I do. I hope you get asked that question, what is Summit like? Uh, and I hope that you're honest. I hope that you're kind. Uh, but I hope that you're honest as well. That you get to share your experiences. You get to share what it is like uh, taking classes here, uh, living on campus if you live on campus, but being a student here, uh, and share your full experience. It was nice having a couple of our, our graduate students on a Monday chapel share their reflections of their time here at Summit. We have more so that we'll do uh, in our banquet as well at the end of the month, our graduation banquet. Uh, so we're going to have a good time hearing those stories and those reflections. And we get to hear what Summit is like, the culture, the style, the vibe. And I hope you get asked that question and I hope you talk about it a lot. Not just for the sense of getting Summit out there, uh, which we want that to happen as well. And so talk about it in your churches. Talk about Summit uh, in your uh, youth ministries. Uh, but not just Summit. Talk about what the Lord is doing in you in those conversations. Okay? Okay? Okay, great. Talk about what the Lord is doing and how the Lord is working inside of you. And inside your heart. And the reason why I say inside your heart is we're going to focus on that concept. Inside your heart this evening. Because in our series, The Kingdom is Like, Jesus has non-stop talked about, it seems like, through the Gospels. Non-stop talked about what the kingdom is like. And he is speaking specifically to that of what's taking place inside our hearts. Littered throughout the Synoptic Gospels is the term kingdom, or the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. 
Kingdom appears over a hundred times in these gospels. 53 times in the book of Matthew, 17 times in the book of Mark, and 41 times in the book that we've been going through, the book of Luke. Jesus talking about the kingdom of God and what it is like. The Christian life, I believe, is founded upon our understanding of what the kingdom is like. It's the essence of our message. It's the essence of the church's message that Jesus came to redeem, he came to rescue, and he came to bring restoration to mankind. That is what the kingdom is. That Jesus came to bring out of destruction and disorder, he brought life. That's the message of the kingdom. That the kingdom of God reigns through God's people. Within us, it's a heart surrendered to Jesus is the kingdom. Obedience to the Lord Most High. Jesus says that we're to seek first the kingdom of God above all else. And he gives a bunch of descriptions of what the kingdom is like. We can read in the Gospels, he says that it's like a mustard seed. It's like a treasure, a hidden treasure. It's a pearl that's been found. The kingdom of God is like yeast. It's like seed. It's like a fishing net, like a drag net to catch fish. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scattered seed. Or maybe an unlikely hero that cares for someone. The, the kingdom of, is like a shepherd going after a sheep. A woman searching for a coin. A father accepting a son. A woman wanting justice. Are you confused yet? <laughs> like that's a lot of different examples. And some of those are hard to wrap around. How is one like that if all of those explain the kingdom is like? And Jesus, for the better part of three, three and a half years of ministry, spent time with his disciples, spent time with his followers, and spent time with religious leaders, and nonstop talked about what the kingdom is like. And after three and a half years, guess what? They still didn't get it. <laughs> the disciples still were confused. And the disciples still had no idea what Jesus was talking about. This is not our scripture verse for tonight, but this is one to bring some context for this evening's scripture verse. In Luke chapter 18, we'll put it up on the screen here. This is following what Kim was preaching last week. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are making their way at this point to Jericho. They're on their way to Jerusalem, but here they're on their way to Jericho, and this is what it says. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Sounds pretty clear. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was being said. <laughs> For years upon years, Jesus is explaining the kingdom of God is like and they still could not grasp and understand. So we've been talking about this for the past couple of weeks. We've been talking about this using stories about faith lived out in individuals, these parables, these stories that Jesus has used, these um, characters in which that he's created to express aspects of the kingdom. Faith lived out and expressed like a good Samaritan. It's like the expression of giving everything away for a better way. A passionate pursuit as shown in the prodigal story. Persistence in prayer exemplified by the widow. And what we see in each of these examples, we're going to see the same thing in tonight's parable too. And I'm going to give you the end line right now. You know, like in movies where they give you the snippet at the beginning of the movie, but it's really the end scene and they show it and then they go back a bit and then they make their way to that scene again. 
Well, this is what we're doing for tonight's message. Here is my final point of tonight's message. Let's put it up there. The kingdom of God is in a life not observed, but of obedience. Not observed, but of obedience. And we saw that in the Good Samaritan. And we saw that in the contrast of the rich fool and to those Jesus said we need to give our stuff away. And we saw that in the prodigal son who in obedience went home to a loving father in comparison and contrast to the older brother. We saw that in the persistent widow, a life not just of observation, but of obedience. And so tonight in our scripture, we're reading out of Luke chapter 19, the parable of the ten minas. And so would you stand with me? We'll have the scripture up on the screen, but if you want to open up your Bibles, Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, and then returned. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him. Then he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then do you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he, will, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want to reign, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is the reading of the word. You may be seated. (laughs) Wow, what an encouraging passage to finish our year on, eh? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Whoa. You know what? This is actually a very encouraging passage. There's a ton of hope from this passage that I see. The context of this parable, the context of this story is Jesus walking with his disciples to Jerusalem, right? I had just said in that previous passage in chapter 18, they were walking to Jericho. Yes, they walked to Jericho. They made their way into Jericho. As he got into Jericho, he had a visit and he had a meal with a wee little man. And then after that visit, they moved on towards Jerusalem. And so here it is, Jesus and his disciples. And my goodness, they're excited right? They're excited because guess what they think? They think our time has come. We are now with the king, our savior, who is going to redeem us and all the oppression that we have received from the Rome regime, from the emperor that has oppressed us and taken our money and taken our stuff and our livelihood. And we're going to go now into Jerusalem and our king, oh my goodness, our king is going to take over and we're going to have the authority. We're going to be the ones to oppress them. Take this, you Gentiles, is what they were thinking. They're approaching Rome, right? Think back to even 
the timeline. It actually would have been just a couple of weeks ago, right? Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, riding on a donkey, palm branches being laid. It was just a couple of weeks ago, right? So here's this moment as they're approaching the city. They would have seen the city off in the distance. Jericho, Jerusalem, about 18 miles or so. They would have seen the, the city off, the anticipation and excitement. <sighs> Our turn. Our turn is coming. Our king is going to enter this city. Might have been a little bit confusing that he entered in on a donkey and not on a horse. And Jesus even said the words that he's going to be mocked, that he's going to be spat upon, that he's going to be flogged, and that he's going to be killed, and that he's going to rise again three days later. And they understood none of these things. <laughs> And they did not grasp what was being said. Context, three years with Jesus, learning, being taught by him, sitting under his teaching, and they seem to have more question. <laughs> Graduates, do any of you feel that way? Three years, four years, five years, being under teaching and instruction and learning, and you're leaving thinking, I think I have more questions than I had when I entered this place. I feel like I know, I, I realize there's not much that I actually know where I thought I knew beforehand. And so you are in good hands because the disciples felt the same. They understood, they understood none of these things. They did not grasp what was being said. So we have some characters in our story, and I'm going to take the same format that Kim did last week, and we're going to go through a few characters that we see uh, in our parable. So the first is the nobleman. The nobleman slash the king. This nobleman went off to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. This nobleman represents Jesus. This is Jesus who goes away into the presence of the Lord at his right side and will one day return. This represents him receiving his kingship. Not only does he leave, but we get the promise in this parable that he will return. We have great hope. Great hope in our faith, believing that Jesus, yes, he left, but he will one day return. And while gone, this nobleman, he has work to be done. There is interests of him that must be maintained and administered to. And so he puts responsibility out. He hires 10 servants and he resources them. And he says to his 10 servants, engage in business until I come. He resources them and then he puts requirement on them gives them the money and says, engage in business until I return. So then there's the servants. I put three up there, but yes, there was 10 servants, but the parable only focuses on three. So we're going to put three individuals up there. Three servants. And these servants, they represent those who are under the reign of the king. Those who are a part of the rule and reign of the kingdom authority have submitted themselves. They're followers of the king. This would be followers of Christ is who these servants represent. And so much like the parable of the talents, there's some similarity and there's some crossover between these two parables. Parables of the ten minas, parable of the talents. In the parable of the talents, there's three servants and they're given talents. Five, two, and one. Great job, Kim. Awesome. You know your Bible. Come on. Five, two, and one. In the parable of the talents, there's the, the man gives, uh, he, has, he, he leaves, he has property in which that he needs it to be taken care of, so he hires the servants, and he gives them resources to take care of his property. Five, two, and one, uh, according to their own abilities. Similar a little bit different. In the parable of the nobleman here, uh, he gives them a mina. A mina is about three months wage. It technically is a hundred days of wage. Like whatever a day's wage is, times that by a hundred, that is what the amount of a mina is. And so he gives and they receive the resources. And then he gives the expectation that he, they are to engage in business. 
But there's some unrest among the servants, right? We see in the, the first two servants that they actually went to work. They engaged in the business. They followed through with the expectations that the Lord had placed, the king had placed on them. The first one, good ROI on his mina, came back with 10 times the amount. Well done, good servant, right? Well done, good servant. And so the, the king actually gave authority to this servant over 10 cities. Because of his return of 10 times, authority over 10 cities. Well done, good servant, the king says. The second servant came back with five or 500 times the amount, five times the amount, excuse me, um, on the return of the Minas. So he gave him authority over five cities. Well done, good servant. See, we have hope to believe that our work actually has a purpose to it. That the work that we put in today, prior to the return of our king, that there's purpose and there's meaning to our work. Sometimes at the end of a semester, it can feel like there's no point to this. Sometimes stress can take over our mind to think that what we're doing can cause us to believe and think, is this really worth it? You ever been there before? Yeah. Can I tell you, it is worth it. We see here by this example of these two servants that there is meaning and there is purpose to engaging in the king's work. Can I tell you, you're going to have moments in ministry, you may have had them already, where there's conversations that you're having with people and it feels like it's the hundredth time you've been having this conversation. It might feel like Jesus did with his disciples where he continuously had to tell them about the kingdom is like. And you're continually having this conversation over and over and over again. And you may ask yourself the question, is this really even doing anything? Is there any point to this work in this moment? And can I tell you, there is purpose to your work. There is a hope that we have that when our king returns, he will reward us for the work that we put in. That we will be blessed because we have a promise that we see here in this parable, that those who are obedient to the king will be rewarded for their work. It's meaningful. There's value to it. And there's purpose to engage in the business of the king. Amen? Amen. Great. But then there's the third servant. The third servant is having a tough time. The third servant is given a name, the wicked servant. Does not respond like the first two, and he just hands back the original amount that the king had given to him. In a handkerchief, and again, very similar to that of the parable of the talents, if you know that parable, I'm going to read it for you. Listen closely to the language used. This is in the book of Matthew, parable of the talents. The third servant in the parable of the talent that was given one talent gave the one talent back to the master. And he says, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Sounds familiar. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to invest my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Sounds very familiar. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. What? This is the same. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even that will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, like that's extremely similar, right? Right? It almost seems like, are they the same story? Is this just a misinterpretation of the same story? Scholars believe 
otherwise. It's not the same story. Because of the, the discrepancies between the amount of servants, because of the differences between the minas and the talents, uh, there's a difference in the actual timeline of the story, but there's the same meaning to it. So yes, there's extreme similarities, but ultimately there's an extreme warning that Jesus is giving his followers. There is hope and reward for those who are faithful to the king. We have hope and no reason to fear. But there is death and there is destruction upon those who choose not to engage in the king's business. This is not a popular topic to discuss about, but it is a biblical one that we must. We have the nobleman and the king. We have the servants. And then we have the citizens. We have the citizens, and these, these citizens hate the nobleman. They do not want the nobleman to be king. They detest the nobleman, are angry that, that he returns as king. They are enemies to the king, and these citizens represent those who reject Jesus and are judged and excluded from God's eternal blessing. So what is the message in this parable? As the disciples are making their way with Jesus to Jerusalem, this is the last parable that Luke records. This is the last teaching that we see in his book in this concept of the kingdom is like before they enter Jerusalem. And Jesus, in this last moment before they enter the city, he's giving them the message that the king is coming. That's the message. That is our message. That to us, to all those who believe, is a message of great hope, right? It is a message of great hope. To those who choose not to believe and are citizens and enemies, it is a message of great fear and of great worry. The king, the Christ, he will return one day and he will render judgment on all people. All mankind he will render judgment upon. The servants who are associated with him and the citizens who oppose him. Judgment, <laughs> judgment is a time of blessing and a time of hope for all those who believe. It's tough to take the word judgment and think, my goodness, it's, it's actually a time of blessing and hope. For all those who believe, who are covered by the blood of the lamb, it's actually our great hope. That Jesus is king and that the king is coming and that time of judgment will actually be a blessing of great hope. We have nothing to fear if Jesus is your savior. You have nothing to fear if you are placed under the blood of the lamb. You have nothing to fear if you are obedient to the king based upon the faithfulness of Jesus, his sacrifice, his grace, and your love, you have been saved and sanctified and transformed. And as you place yourself under his kingship, you have nothing to fear. Amen? Thank you. <laughs> I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered all my fears. When I'm afraid... I put my trust in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, and am not afraid. So there is great hope to those who have Jesus as their Savior. There's nothing to fear, but it is also a time. It is also a time of destruction and damnation to those who don't. Like I said, this is not a popular message today. It's not a popular message today because there are so many who want to remove themselves under the rulership and the authority of the Lord. They don't want to be his subjects. They don't want to claim to be his servants. They reject the king because they don't like him. They reject the king because they don't know him. They, they reject the king because they're afraid of him. Last week, Kim, she mentioned in her, uh, in her sermon about the parable of the persistent widow and the judge that was there. And it was a mean judge. 
And in many of the parables that Jesus uses, used, <clears throat> whether the, the judge or if it was like a father figure or a shepherd or a king, it, it usually was the picture of the Lord or Jesus. But the judge in that parable was contrast, right? It wasn't the comparison of, it was a contrast of not the Lord because it was a mean judge. Here, the king is the Lord. Unfortunately, the servant is just confused on who the king is. The servant is confused. In our passage here, the servant says, I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. The servant misunderstood who the king was. He did not have a clear understanding of who the character or what the character of the king is. Now, the wicked servant was a servant. He was a part of the community. He was a part of engaging in the king's activity poorly, unfortunately, that I might add. But I know too many people, oh, I've been a, I was a youth pastor for too long for this to happen too many times. And I've been a campus pastor for too long to see this too many times. People who have been engaged in a community for too long and don't engage in the king's business and have a misunderstanding about who the Lord is. And they're afraid of him, or they just don't like him, or they're straight up confused about him because they just don't know him. Natasha even shared about it on Monday in her and her reflection that there's too many people that she knows, there's too many people that we know that have sat in these seats that aren't just no longer here on campus, but they're no longer serving the king. And there's a warning here that we can all take. There's a warning here that we all need to look to. And it calls us to examine. It calls us to examine, is our relationship with Jesus merely formal Or is it authentic in obedience? Is your relationship with the king pragmatic in orientation? Or is it authentic in your obedience? This is Jesus telling his disciples, knowing what is to come. Because there's going to be difficult times. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be seasons that are going to stretch you. And so he wants to make sure the disciples know who the king is. I love classes like O.T. Theo. You hear everybody talk about hermeneutics when they come and speak here. Somebody always mentions Mark in his hermeneutics class and how much they've learned. Bible survey. What about wing prayer, pre-service prayer? I love our times in chapel and Bible study, and all those give you knowledge of God, but it's obedience. It's obedience that gives you knowledge and knowing who God is. Knowledge of is one thing. Knowing God in obedience is another. And so that first point, the first point to begin this whole evening the kingdom of God is in a life not of observation, but of obedience. Makes me think of the kingdom is like in our series. The farmer who is scattering seed. Thinking of the good Samaritan in obedience, responding to the need. You can keep that point up there. Thinking of the, the prodigal son in obedience going home. Thinking of the persistent widow in constant pursuit in obedience. And the servant in obedience of doing what the king has commanded. But I must say this. My pastoral heart actually breaks for this third servant. My heart breaks for them. For him. For that character. <laughs> Because I've seen that in so many people. Like, I, we see it all the time. We see it here. We've seen it in ministries prior to here. We see it in our local churches. You see it in your ministries. People of the kingdom who are afraid. 
who are full of fear, who are riddled with anxiety and uncertainty about their future, whether here on earth or eternal. They are uncertain, and because of that uncertainty, they are riddled with fear. Fear can hold us back from obedience. It can cause us to freeze, to stand still, to hide what we have, and to hold on to it and to do nothing with it. Fear can convince us that you're just not able, that you're not good enough, Fear can convince you that you could never do what the other person has done. I can't do what they do. There's no way. I am not qualified. I am not good enough. I have done too much wrong. I have done too much bad. My thoughts are too negative. Fear can convince us that God detests you. That God feels contempt towards you to make you believe that you aren't a servant, that you're actually an enemy. But I got great news for you because there's great hope that we have. Romans 5 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Amen? For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Now we can rejoice in the wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ made us friends with God. We started our year off with this passage. We started our entire school year with this concept that we have been made right with Christ, right with God in his sight when we were still enemies because of Christ's death, sacrifice, and resurrection. And our willingness to submit to that rule and reign, we're no longer called enemies. We're called friends. Emily and the team, you guys can come on up. I want to finish with this thought about, um, about the minas, okay? <clears throat> We've talked about the people. I want to talk about the resources in which this nobleman, the king, has given. Because the same thing with the talents, it's not just about a sum of money. Yes, the, the parable is about an amount of money given to these servants, but it's more the fact that it's the resources in which that he provides his servants. And the Lord has resourced us too. The Lord has resourced you. Scripture says that he's given you everything that you need to live a life of godliness. He has placed responsibility and expectation on you. He's resourced you, but he's also placed responsibility on you. And often we think, okay, what, what are those resources? What are those things that he gives me? Is it, is it the spiritual gifts? Is it my strengths? Is it my passions? Is it the things that I'm good at that I can serve other people with? I think that's a part of it. But I also think that what he gives you is that he gives you hope. He gives you hope of a future. Like he gives you a new identity that you are no longer slaves to sin, but you're slaves to righteousness. Come on. He also gives you that you, know, you are no longer bound to sin. That you've been saved in a new way through the Spirit. He's also resourced and given you the spirit of God that you belong to Christ. So you are no longer obligated to satisfying the desires of the flesh because you now walk in the spirit. Amen? He's also resourced you and given you a new identity as a child of God. He's given you purpose. 
He's given you value and He's given you meaning and He has adopted you. You know what He's not given you? He has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of adoption. He's given you a spirit of sonship and daughtership. He gives us strength in times of suffering that we may rejoice in those times. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. That through those seasons actually results in hope. That's what he gives us. And he gives us love. So we can forgive, so we can show hospitality, and so we can tell people what the kingdom is like. He's given us new life that we are looked right in God's sight. That's what he's given us. That's what he's resourced with. And that is what we are to take and to put to work (laughs) and to share and to give and find a return on that until he returns. So would you stand with me? Tonight, uh, I want to give you an opportunity right now to just uh, pray. I would like to give you an opportunity to sing. I would like to give you an opportunity as well uh, to place yourself before the throne of the King. Maybe you're at a place where you need to say, Lord, oh, I, I need to try again. I need to start again. I need a refreshing of your love in my life. I need a reminder of who I am in you. Uh, Maybe there needs a place of repentance in your heart as well to come before the Lord. We're going to sing together a song, uh, but then following, we're going to spend some time in prayer. Uh, So let's let's sing together. Don't leave just yet. Uh, And then I would like to give us some prayer prompts moving forward for this evening. So I'd like to spend some time in in prayer here. What I'd like to do, and I mentioned this a bit on Monday, is I would like to have our graduates pray over uh, our student body. And so why don't we, thank you, Kim, let me grab this. Why don't we, uh, all those who are, can we do this first? All those who are Omega, can we we pray over Omega for their trip and send them? Uh, in the beginning of our sending. So why don't you guys all come like right to the front here? Come right on over. Awesome. This is great. Um, and then for logistical purposes, um, why don't we, we're going to get all those who are non-grads to come first in, in front of them. Okay. So all non-grads, you guys, if you want to pray over our omegas, you can come stand in front of them. Okay. Great, 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 great. Okay, uh, and then grads, grads follow behind uh, on a third level, third layer. Okay, graduates can do a third layer. There we go. This is good. Yeah, yeah, great. This is working perfect. Okay, so our, our first prayer prompt: uh, we're going to pray over Omegas that they will live a life of obedience, not just of observation on your trip, and then beyond that as well. So that's a theme in our focus of our prayer, that as they go, that they're going to work hard for the king's business and be people of obedience. Okay, let's do that. Let's pray together. Go for it, guys.
Lord, we pray a great return on their ministry. God, I pray a great impact, blessing and favor over their ministry. May they work hard for you. May when they uh, wake up and are tired, they are disorientated uh, and maybe even a bit uncomfortable with culture shock or differences. God, may they be reminded that their work has purpose, that their work for you has meaning and value. In, these, uh, in the trying times, uh, may they look to you to be the one that sustains them. Uh, Lord, I also so look forward to hearing stories and testimonies of people acknowledging and proclaiming you as king for the first time. So we pray for salvations to take place on this missions trip, I pray. There would be locals in those countries that come to a place of submission and repentance to you, declaring Christ their king. I pray in the moments of excitement and joy, may there be such memory makers and blessing that takes place on this trip. We pray safety in their travels. Uh, we pray grace and mercy over Jace and the leadership team. Uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, for the work that you have done this year and what you will do on this trip. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Great. Awesome. Okay. So now what we're going to do is um, uh, middle row. We're going to pray for you guys. And since grad, uh, Omegas, many of you are, are graduates. You're finishing up this year. So I'm just looking to you as graduates and as leaders as well. You guys are going to get prayed for double-sided, okay? Yeah. O Oreo. We talked about Oreo over here. Yeah. Okay. So um, graduates... You guys are praying. Omegas, you're praying for uh, students who are continuing on in their time here. We're going to pray over their summers, over their jobs, over their internships, over their futures, um, whether they're returning or not returning. Uh, we're going to pray for their futures that they would be people of obedience to the King. That they would be people of courage to share in their faith to share in what God has been doing. I appreciate, Kim, how you started our chapel this evening about sharing the things that God has done in your life. So pray over them faith, boldness, and courage as they're obedient to the King. All right, let's do that. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, I pray you fall fresh on our students. Lord, I pray that you fall fresh on their minds and on their hearts again this evening. Father, I come before you and I ask in the name of Jesus that you would remove fear from the hearts of our students. That our students would not walk in uncertainty and anxiety and fear. Lord, would you remind them that you were not a God of uncertainty, that you were a God of certainty, that you were not a God that gives us a spirit of fear, but you have solidified and given us a spirit of adoption, a spirit of sonship and daughtership. And so I pray this over our students. Would you, spirit, fall fresh on them and remind them of who they are in you? I pray this summer would be a summer of great challenge, but also a summer of rising to that challenge. God, I pray for an obedience from our students uh, day in and day out, that each day that they would wake and they would seek you for strength, they would seek you for comfort, they would seek you in their joy, they would seek you in their trials, they would seek you in every emotion they face, that they would look to you. God, I pray that they would never Never look to you in fear, but because of your love that transforms our lives, that they would look to you with great hope. God, I pray boldness in their hearts too. God, I pray a humble boldness, a humble inner assurance in them that as they speak of your kingdom, as they share of the things that you've done, would there be an inner assurance inside them only from you, Lord? May they not look to muster that up themselves, but they, may they be humble enough to receive it from you, knowing it is only from you, but willing enough and obedient enough to respond 
to respond to what you require of us. May they take that challenge on with such fervor, with such hope, with such faith. Thank you that you are a God of promise, that you are a God of purpose, that you are a God of meaning, and that this isn't just for nothing, that there is great meaning and hope that we have in the work we do for you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Oh, man, it's wonderful to pray together, eh? Uh, I think it would be appropriate to sing together. It's our last time that we're going to really get to do that this year. Uh, so maybe a sing to sing a song of worship and maybe a song of celebration to finish off the year uh, would be would be fitting to do so. Okay? Wonderful.